The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. As always, a honest, open, frank conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. Joining me, as always, from Epic Risk Management, our buddy Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you today? Doing well. Appreciate you asking. And uh, happy to have from Staten Island, New York, joining us this morning, uh, Bob. Bob, good morning. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Dan. It's my pleasure. Cool. When's uh, the last time you made a wager? Uh, last time I made a wager was June 27, 2008. Wow, so you got uh, 14 years in almost, right? Almost. Yeah, I've been in the program since 2000, though. I've had a few struggles, but that's sure. my uh, cleanness. Yeah, I've been in the program a while. I'm actually glad you just said that. Uh, there's a young man that I, I've been counseling uh, who came to Dan and I, I don't know, maybe about three, four months ago, and he got he made it to 42 straight days without wagering, and he, he reached out to me because he wanted to admit you know, that Super Bowl Sunday uh, was like a trigger for him. And he made a bet. He lost $160. And he was happy that he didn't chase the bet. And what I said to him was, you know, the honesty is the biggest part of that. You know, a lot of gamblers, myself included, you included, I think Dan would tell the same story. You know, it, it, it we don't fix ourselves overnight. And that's okay, too. So I'm glad uh, you acknowledge that. You've been in the program yeah. for longer, but uh, it took you a couple a couple shots at it to finally make it work, right? Uh, it took me five shots, to be honest with you. I went out five times. I was on step one for eight years between 2000 and 2008 when I finally got into my program. But I kept coming back uh, as much as I struggled because, like I've said many times in my you know, in my meetings, I only stopped gambling, but I didn't change any character defect or any way I thought. Mm-hmm. I still was arrogant, condescending, cheating, lying, stealing. I still did everything, went to meetings and lied. But I had time. Maybe I stopped four years out of that eight. But it never stuck because I knew I was going to go back because I didn't follow the program. Right. Take it 100% serious. So let's go. June 27th. Let's go all the way back. How did gambling Mm -hmm. start for you? Well, tell you the truth, Craig, it started, and I wouldn't even known it, but I used to go to Catholic school in Brooklyn where I lived, and we used to flip cards in the, you know, when I was about nine years old, we used to flip cards in the uh, schoolyard at recess. And I used to win, and I used to love it, and I I probably would have known I had a problem, but at nine, who would know? I couldn't wait to go back the next day and win more sure, and beat the kids more and more and more and buy gum for a nickel in those days with a piece of you know gum and candy in the cards and all that stuff. And that was a start. Now, of course, I didn't know I was nine years old, but as time went on, I've said this many times in my room, by the time I reached 14, you know, my parents got divorced when I was like 13. My father was a gambler. My uncles were gamblers compulsively in Atlantic City every day. And it wasn't a happy home. My dad was not to, you know, not to knock him. I don't blame him for my gambling or anything. It's right. just that I grew up in a gambling home. Every Sunday there would be Pacino out and cards and, you know, a little older, playing brisk. My grandfather taught me how to play brisk when I was five years old on his lap, and I was good at it. It was scary. I enjoyed it. But anyway, to cut to the chase, the uh, I remember when I was 14, my father took me to this bar in 19th Street in Brooklyn. Where I used to live in 7th Avenue. So all the wise guys used to hang out. And um, he took me in there. He had to go probably, you know, make a wage or talk to somebody. And, you know, so he brought me in the back. You know, hey, it's my son, Bob. You know, Robert, have a soda. 
And he's talking, and I'm looking at all these guys in the early 70s, like 72, with their shark skin suits on, and everybody's talking like, you know, and that wise guy kind of thing. And he told me, oh, son, who do you like? And I pick something in a paper. I'm just pointing to whatever football game was on. But that image stuck with me, and I wanted to be those people because when I grew up, like I said, in my family, I was very insecure. My father always put us down because he had problems with himself, and he put us down, me and my brother. My brother never turned to gambling, just me. And I wanted to be like them. I needed something to give me confidence. And as time went on, fast forward from 14 to 21, when I made my first bookie bet seven years later, that's when it all started, in a sense, you know, yeah. doing the uh, the bookie bet. Even though before that, I used to play cards after school every day with my friends in their basements, you know, nickel, dime, quarter, half, and it would go up and up and up. And then think there was a problem. I'm 15, 16 years old. You know, didn't think it was a problem thing to do. But after I made that first bookie bet, when I found the uh, bookie in Brooklyn in the old days, and they told me to go around the corner, talk to a guy, this guy I sent you, I paid $5 bet, and I forget it was a Met game. Of course I won. I gave him the money. He goes, you win, you come pick it up, kid. If not, you know, whatever. And it started off, and, you know, it didn't, like, escalate right away. I would bet maybe just 5 or $10 on a week. I didn't have much money. I was 21 years old. I went to start, you know, working and right. have a lot of money. But long story short, it just, progressively like the book says got worse and worse and pretty soon i was betting more in the days and almost almost every day and so forth and so forth and the downfall started i believe for myself is when i met this bookie guy i knew for 25 years of my like 30 something years of gambling and as soon as i established credit with this person that's when it hit the fan Right. Then I was all more powerful. I had credit. I didn't have to go put money up. I can bet without having money. He gave me 1000 2000 credit. And then worse than that, as time went on, when I was losing, of course, and I owed him 5000 uh, just give me half and you can carry it. The word carry it was like being released from me. That was the best word I ever heard as a compulsive gambler. You can carry it and just keep on betting just to have action. Let me explain uh, to people yeah. what that means. So, you know, he, if, you, if you owe a bookie, let's say $5,000, and he goes, just give me half and carry the rest. You're not absolved of the debt. He's just carrying the debt over to another week. He's letting you bet more. You're most likely going to lose more. And a lot of guys charge you interest on the carry as well. So you wind up putting yourself uh, in uh, financial harm's way very, right. very quickly. Because, A, you're wagering what you can't afford to lose anyway. And now you're mm -hmm. carrying losses over. So now your whole betting program changes because now you're betting not to win now you're betting trying to make up a debt you, you still got. Exactly. And and it just it just makes it uh, more and more. I'm going to wager more and more. He knows I'm going to call him every day. He knows I'm a compulsive gambler. He knows I'm going to be there. So no matter what he gives, there's no money out of his pocket. It's all going to come to him. It's money out of mine. He ain't losing anything. And that was, to me, like the start of the downfall. That's only one. I mean, you know, I had many. But that was a start when I was in my early 20s anyway. And then it just continued and got worse and worse. And I, you know, and I knew this person so long. I mean, <laughs> I met so many shady characters I thought I would never do in my life right. along the way of loan sharks and and these people in these dark alleys when things got so bad that I owed so much money and I, you know, had to pay somebody sooner or later and had to revert to that, which I thought I never would. It was a nice little Catholic boy in school when I was yeah. younger. I never would do that. No, listen, I get it. And I, I've, I've said this before in the show. Like, I've met a lot of, you know, quote-unquote, really bad people, certainly bad for me, who did nothing wrong. Like, that's what they do. And I was the huckleberry that signed up to be a part of their world, 
as opposed to the other way around. So there are people I'm sure you have in your life that you can never speak to ever again. Not that they did anything wrong, but your association with them is just bad for you. Yeah, everything changed. I mean, you know, in a sense, I was really a closet gambler. Not many of my friends really gambled. Some of my friends who were close at the time, I was young and new, but they didn't know the extent. But my family never knew. Like before I got married, I didn't get married until 97. I was, you know, older. But girlfriends at the time or my parents, they never knew what I did because I kept it like, you know, I thought it was embarrassing, but I loved it in my mind. So it was all powerful to me, but I didn't want nobody to know. Right. I wanted to be alone and do it. And to, to, to get it, to praise it up a little bit ahead, you know, when I said to you before, I went back, you know, five times. When I first went to the meeting, all right, back in May of 2000, I went only because at the time my wife caught me. I wasn't going because I wanted to go because I didn't want to go. And she says, you know, you got to go or else this, that, you got a problem, blah, blah, blah. She found all these tickets I had. Like, what's this 100 times mean? What's this 50 times? What's this Mets? What's this? I said, what are you talking about? You know, all this stuff that maybe the kids don't know what that is today, but the old timers know what I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I lied, and but I went unconsciously. I went to my first meeting. And in the 20 questions, I, I answered 18 out of the 20 yes. Mm. But as I look back, when I answered no to 16 and number 20, and 16 said, you ever commit, consider committing a crime? I said no. And 20, you ever commit, think about suicide? I said no. Cause I said, well, wow, man, I feel embarrassed. People look at me like I'm some criminal or something. But I answered yes to everything else that was criminalized before that. But I felt ashamed to answer those two. And as I look back, and I spoke about this at the meeting last week, I did those things. I stole from my mother. I stole from my father. I used to work with him when I was young in my 20s, embezzled checks, took money out of safety deposit boxes that he trusted me in. I said, isn't that stealing? But I thought since it was my parents, it wasn't stealing. It was stealing. I stole from them. Besides everything else, time. I stole money, stole jewelry. I stole anything I can get my hands on because I had to be in action. Okay. And number 20, as I said many times in my other program that I go to, I says, you know, it was this year, this time in the year, 1992, I was about 35, I remember. I owed out all kinds of money. I had about 15 credit cards maxed, lines of credit in those days, loans, you name it. I had no money. I don't know how I even paid the rent when I lived, but I had a good job. I used to work on Wall Street. I worked there for 27 years in the stock exchange floor. Good place to be, but at the end, the worst place for me as a sure. general, because the money was out, out of control. And long story short, I was just over the sink, sick to my stomach, and my good friend rings a bell in my palm, and he comes in and goes, Bob, what's the matter? I said, I don't know, I feel good, man. I'm in a lot of trouble. And I told him my story, and I just wanted to, like, I said, maybe if I just ended here, because I, I can't pay. I owed like six figures out. I didn't know what to do. I had no, you know, no savings, just a job. Thank God I always worked. And he goes, we want you go, you know, go to a bankruptcy. I says, bankruptcy. I says, I, I, that, that's bad. I says, you know, I have no credit. You know, it's a gambling mine. I did it because I said, if I can wipe out all this credit, I mean, all this debt, excuse me, who knows? So I did it, went to court, wiped it all out. All the money's gone. All right. And I said to myself, I didn't gamble right away, but I didn't change my character. A month later, it was like the biggest bailout I ever had. I always say at my meeting and I went right back in harder than ever because now i didn't owe out six figures to no one i didn't owe credit cards i didn't owe loans i didn't do i didn't do anything but i gambled so like step one says i risk 
family, this, that. I gambled. I risked my health, my job. I continued to gamble. I, I risked everything, but I continued to gamble because I think you might have heard it from many times in your shows I've heard. I loved to gamble. I gambled sports mostly every single day that I went to horses to. I did everything except casinos. I mean, I wasn't a big casino guy. Went maybe twice, but I said, you know, I don't want to drive two hours. I want to stay home and just make a right. phone call. Too much work for me, I said. I got gotcha. you. Uh, let me stop you right yeah. there. We're going to take a quick break. I want to get okay. Dan in here as well. Talking to Bob okay. F., a, a compulsive gambler who's now uh, working towards two decades without making a wager, and we'll get to the good stuff coming up here in a second. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you, Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management, and Bob, who's telling us his personal story. Dan, let me bring you in here, because uh, you, uh, like me, were listening to what Bob had to say there. You know, it's the same commonality we get, you know, week after week after week. Um, You know, the numbers might be different. The names might be different. But at the end of the day, the process is the same for all of us. Yeah, it's just there's just this certain thing. And I I love listening to Bob. You know, gambling hits a person just a certain kind of way where, you know, he even said, listen, you know, he stepped into their world just like you did, just like I did. We stepped into someone's world where they may not have a problem with it or we don't think they have a problem with it, but it just hits us in a different way as people who just love this newfound ability to uh, continue the action, stay in action. And one of the things we always talk about is that experiencing that good feeling, that, that big win early or just that fun time, and we see no harm in it, and it's normalized. You know, it's in our circle of friends. It's, it's in our everyday conversation. And whether it was the 1960s, 70s, 2000, or today in 2022, it's still in front of us. And if anything, it's even more in front of us now with the marketing and the advertising. So it's here. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. But it's having conversations like this where we reduce the shame and the stigma that Bob talked about. I didn't want to answer yes. But, you know, Bob, I answered yes to 18 of the 20 also. And I was yeah. lying on one of them because I did commit a crime because I was on Wall Street and financial services as well. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to admit to that. So that's why we do the show, Craig, to reduce shame and stigma sure. and just give a voice. So, Bob, what was the ultimate uh, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel moment for you that made you decide to uh, take uh, recovery for real? Okay, I'll explain that to you. Like I said, I struggled with the program. I was in and out five times, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What finally, two things broke the short of back, but I'll give it to you quickly. Back on June 25th, Two days before I came back to the meeting in 2008, I owed the bookie about 10 grand. And I was in desperation of those days. I was at the end of my gambling. I wanted to stop a year before. I just didn't know how. I was a robot every day on the phone, call, call, pay phones if people know what they used to be, put the coins in and keep on doing it. And I said to myself, there was this game, a Met game. I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday. It was at Shea Stadium still then. I forget who the hell was pitching, but I bet... I, it was eight and a half the total on the game. And I said to my bookie guy, I knew a long time, I says, I want to bet $10,000, one shot deal. I said to my wife, if I win, I'll stop. If I, you know, right. same I gave myself every time I wasn't stopping. He goes, hey, Bob, that's a lot of money. How can you? I said, listen, I know you're 25, you know, what years? I said, you're taking the bet, I told him. Okay. <laughs> he says, all right. He goes, I'll take it. I bet under eight and a half runs, it was supposed to be two ace pitches pitching. I told the story many times. And, the game went on. It was nothing, nothing going to the top of the ninth. 
Now, you know there's no sure thing. It's a sure thing. Okay, but in my mind, I'm saying, this is a lock. I got to win this game. Right. Atlanta scores eight runs in the top of the ninth. <sighs> now, I need three outs in the bottom of the ninth. I'll never forget this tour. There I die. One out, pop out, ground out. There's two strikes on the person. He hits a home run in oh. the bottom of the ninth. The game ends eight to one. I was alone. My wife was out. I was on the basement. It felt like I stared at the TV for an hour, but it might have been a minute. I felt like I was dead. Like every human piece of me and blood just sapped out of my body. I felt like I was numb. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what to do. I was angered. I was, uh, I probably lived alone. I would have destroyed the place, but I was my wife, so I didn't do a thing. I just, she came home after shopping. She looked at my face. She goes, I know what you did. What happened? And I, I didn't know what to say. She goes, you're going to get help tomorrow. You're going back. To blah, blah. So fast forward, I went to GTC. I was going for a long time to see a person talk. So I went back to them on Monday, day before I went back, the 26th. And we spoke, and I told him what happened. My wife came, and, you know, this and that. And I was still angry and ego and all that, and I was fighting. I don't want to go back to the media. I didn't go for a year. He goes, Bob, you got to go back to your peers. You can't just see me. I says, why not? He goes, you can't. So my wife's saying, you got to go, and I'm ready to say, you know, hell with this. I figured in my, you know, my compulsive gambling mind, I said, mean, my wife wants to divorce me. I can sell the house, get $300,000. I can go gamble. That's how I was thinking in the office. Like crazy. Psycho. Yeah. And I thought about it. I walked out for a while. I came back in the office. He goes, all right. I says, my wife, I said, Maureen, okay, I'll go. And I went that 27th of June day. I walked in and my sponsor from day one, I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous. I was embarrassed. He put his arm around me and he goes, Bob, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Come on in. And I looked at him. I was like, wow. And one of the old timers back in the old days is not with us anymore. I remember he always called me kid. I was like 50 years old at the time. I came back at that time. He goes, be kid. He goes, I'm glad to see you, but I'm going to ask you a question. He goes, what? He goes, what are you going to do different this time that you haven't done the other five times you came here in order not to go back the sixth time? Because if you don't, you will go back. I looked at him and I said, well, first my mind was like, screw you, because my ego was still out the door. Mm-hmm. But then as I sat down in the meeting and I you know, stayed and I listened and went by a few other meetings, I said, you know, this son of a is right. I got to do change something. I can't just stop gambling. And I started to listen. The key word I tell young people I sponsor today, listen. I listened to these guys who had the experience. I listened to them. They were laughing and having fun. I said, I want that. I want to get out of this fathom of misery that I'm in, this depths I can't get out of. And it started to take home. And I didn't know it was going to you know, go this long, almost 14 years without it. But the clincher, Craig, I'll give it to you quickly. The clincher for me was... I used to get these PBA cards from my bookie guy all the time because he used to park in the city and the cops would give him a ticket and my brother-in-law used to be a cop, right? I never forget, I was working out. I left the po- I left the um, stock exchange in 2006. I got laid off. I went to work for the post office, which I just retired from last year. That's a big change, but that's another story. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I was working there for like six months. In December of 08, I get a phone call on my cell phone and it was my bookie guy. He goes, hey, Bob, how you doing? I said, her? Yeah, uh, yeah, what's up, right? I just paid all this money and everything, blah, blah, blah. He goes, how you doing? I says, fine. He goes, listen, I just called to see you. He goes, you got this PBA card you used to get me all the time? And Craig, as the Lord is looking down on me now, I had it in my pocket. And every time he called, the other five times I would give in because I wanted to gamble. I had the card in my pocket, and I said to myself, if I tell him I have it and I go see him, I'm dead. I'll go right back again. I made a stand. I said, you know, 
I lied. I said, you know, I don't have it. I said, you know, they couldn't get it from the sergeant this year. I said, if it comes about us, I'll let you know. Right. He goes, wow. okay, Bob. He goes, and by the way, was the word always got me. By the way, he goes, you know, if you want to do any small action, he goes, you know, I'm here. You can call. I says, you know, I says, thanks a lot. I hung up the phone. I tore his number up. I threw it out. And I never made a bet or spoke to him since that day. To wow. me, that was my final straw to get well. And give that was people, my test. Give people an idea, you know, all these years later, how good life is for you. Today, Greg, life right now is great. And it's not only about the money. That came back. But I have peace of mind today. And I control the disease that controlled me for over 35 years. Now I'm in control of it by going to meetings, multiple meetings. I go more meetings than I did when I came in, which I should have done because I'm scared to go back at this t- stage of my life because everything is really nice and very good. I have peace of mind. I can sleep. I don't have to worry about anybody. I have to go to the mailbox and run there. And right. who's calling me? Lie to everybody. I don't, you know, my wife, again, no. And it's the truth, meaning no. I, like I said, I sponsor a lot of young guys who come in. I go to the pasta bowl every year. I met, you know, that's why I knew, that's why I know uh, Bruce who called in. I know him for like 14 years. Great guy. Yeah. And all the things that I wanted, I thought on that fantasy page about getting, I have today. But the most thing I have is control and peace of mind. That to me is worth more than money that I could possibly get because I never had it and I have it today. It's not about mm. the money. And I know young guys or people like I said when I came in, they tell you, it's not about the money. So look, the guys, I'm not, what do you mean it's not about the money? What right. am I doing here, you know? Well, but no, listen, when you, it's tough. Go ahead. No, I appreciate you sharing your story. It just it reminded me, the other night I was at home, and uh, we're just in the middle of dinner, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I went to the bathroom, no big deal, whatever, two minutes, I come back from the bathroom, and it dawned on me that I left my phone you know, on the kitchen table, right? <laughs> and when I was gambling, there wasn't the possibility on God's green earth that I would have gotten to that bathroom and left my phone on the kitchen table. Wow. And like something yeah, so little like that, you know, rang a bell for me. This is literally this week, this just happened, where I was like, man, I, I really am in a good place right now because I'm not hiding anything on that phone. I don't need that phone. I'm not gambling on that phone. And if you want to look at it, here's my code. You know, have at it. And five years ago, that phone would have been in my back pocket, no doubt. Yeah, doesn't doesn't that feel great, Craig, to have that? Doesn't that feel yeah, so, it does. so, like, like, born again? It's like enlightenment. It's like, God, that's so great. I mean, I didn't use the phone when I gambled, like I said. Yeah. I must have filled up my car with enough gas to fill up five, 15,000 <laughs> gas stations. I make excuse, guy. I was like, where are you going? I can't guess. I need milk. So it's, she came home too early, and the bookie told me, oh, you got to call me back in 20 minutes. And then my wife's coming. I can't use the whole phone. I got to go out. There was no such thing as cell phones at my time. Right. I had to get a pay phone and find one that worked. That's and true. That used to drive me nuts. Well, listen, I appreciate you uh, joining us today uh, very, very much. Congrats on the uh, recovery. And I'm glad yes. that you're still part of it and helping younger people out because they're going to need it for sure. And if I can ever yes. return the favor, just let me know. I will, you and Dan. I appreciate it. And the only thing I'll say quickly to the young people out there that ones who are struggling like I did, went back and forth many times, do not give up. Go back to a meeting. You're always going to have a, a friendly arm around you to say, hey, it's okay. Just give us you know, time and be open and honest and listen. And if they, you'll have hope. You know? And that's the whole thing of life is to have hope because this insidious disease we have will take us all down if we don't go to a program and at least have hope. 
And that's the one thing that I strive for. And I know you and Dan, the same thing. We all yep. want at least a chance and a hope that somebody, strangers, like myself when I was at strangers, will give their time to you because they know exactly where you are, like you two gentlemen just did. And it's my honor to do this, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Pop. Stay well. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Appreciate your time. We'll talk. I thank you all again. All right. right take guys. care. Bye-bye. Again. Thanks, Bob. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. You know, Dan, the one thing I want to just say before we get out of here is uh, his story is important to us, I think, because he didn't, it didn't, you know, GA didn't take, recovery didn't take for him one, two, three, four, you know, five times he went to meetings and still went back and gambled. And I think it's important that we send that message to people that, you know, that's part of the recovery. You know, for a lot of people, it's not just bang overnight, I go to a meeting and I never gamble again. And not to get too discouraged by that because, you know, you've spent all this time in your life committed to feeding an addiction. To think that going to a single meeting is suddenly going to change that is uh, really silly, right? It is. It even speaks of that broader sense of, of, and people can see this, like trying to develop almost like a new habit, right? You know, people, people love New Year's because they start going to the gym, right? They go for a couple weeks, three weeks, and then they just fall off, right? It's okay, well, I'm going to stop going to the gym. It's not something you're used to doing, so you try it. It doesn't work. Now, some people come back to it, but studies after study has shown that when you start developing a new habit. Give yourself time. Be patient with yourself. Give yourself the weeks and the months that it needs, but also take time to also kind of redevelop other areas of your life so that this new thing you're trying actually starts to work. You do have to change your people. You do have to change the places that you go, the people you hang out with, and the things that you do. It makes the experience a little smoother and a little easier, but honestly, Craig, when you're trying to do something new that you've never done before and your whole world was gambling, it's very difficult to do. And we just encourage people not to be discouraged, but just keep pressing on because, you know, time after time, week after week, we just hear these stories of, of just amazement. And they're not always easy. It's a struggle. Even if you, you know, 12 years for me plus, it's, it's not easy every day. We talked about this last week. It's still a struggle. But what Bob said is a line from my favorite band, Zach Brown band. There's no dollar sign on peace of mind. This yeah. I've come to know. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, no doubt about it. That's one of the great gifts uh, we have in recovery is that we do have peace of mind because we're, we're doing the right thing also. It doesn't mean life's yep. problems suddenly disappear, but you know, this is a major problem that you can handle. You just got to be committed to doing it. Well, listen, we handle, pal. Right? We don't gamble to deal with life's problems. We have other ways to do it. Exactly, exactly. Now, next week when we uh, reconvene this, it's, of course, going to be the month of March, which is a big yes. month uh, in our world. I'll explain to people next week. But I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you. And as always, Dan, appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Craig. Have a great week. All right, guys. Uh, Mark Malusis is coming up next. And then Evan and I are back again Monday at 2 o'clock. That's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. And, of course, we thank uh, 1-800-GAMBLER, courtesy of the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling. This was Hello, My Name is Craig.